0: Perhaps the most exciting were the synucatoids. So this was back in the late 90s that we started finding the synucatoids. They've really kept me captivated ever since then. I still spend a lot of time pondering over what the hell these things mean.
1: Welcome to The Rocks Beneath Our Feet. In this series, five geologists talk about their years devoted to working for the Geological Survey of Western Australia. From understanding early life to the tectonic processes that shaped our planet and making the maps that unearth our understanding of Western Australia's geology. They reveal their shared passion for discovering the stories in the rocks beneath our feet. I'm Julie Hollis. In this episode, Hugh Smithis talks about synucatoids, a rare and perhaps fundamentally important group of Archean rocks that he first encountered in the Pilbara and later discovered hiding in plain sight in the Yilgarn.
0: It would have been the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. That was when the big debate about the role that plate tectonics in Archean geological evolution started to kick off. You know, everybody was jumping on this subduction bandwagon. Mm-hmm. The Wondu sequence, that represented one of the really good cases for some form of subduction process in the Archean. Right. But perhaps the most exciting were the synucatoids. So we found an unusual suite of diuretic to granite diuritic rocks that intruded into the Malina Basin. So the Malina Basin is a 298 GA sedimentary package that overlies the West Pilbara. It's a series of turbidites. And right along the axis of the basin, you get a series of these diorites and granite diorites, um, very hornblende bearing and reasonably mafic. And, and, and in that respect, certainly in the Pilbara, they were very unusual. It's unusual in all of Australian TTG terrains to find a lot of hornblende-bearing tonalites and trondhjemites, it's a bit of a misnomer that the TTG series is in fact characterized by hornblende-bearing rocks because in Australia that's certainly not the case. They're almost invariably biotype bearing right. But all of a sudden we're getting these rocks that you know they had magnesium concentrations up to five, six percent magnesium numbers over sixty, and um, very high chrome, very high nickel, but they're also unusually enriched in the large ion lithophile elements, strontium, barium, and in lanthanum and thorium. Yeah. So in groups of elements that put together form a bit of a contradiction. Right. And so, you know, I didn't know what the hell these things were. And um, I remember I was driving from Wim Creek to Port Helen to resupply one stage and Dave Champion was on the radio and, and I started describing these things to Dave Champion and it just so turned out that he'd just been reading a paper by some Canadian geologists on these things that they called synucatoids. And so he described it and I said, well, that's actually possibly what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And um, they've got a very distinctive appearance in the field. They're almost invariably crowded with what, in fact, represent cognate xenoliths. So you, you find a broadly granodioritic, coarse-grained, hornblende bearing synucotide, and it'll be crowded with granodioritic to diuritic, in some cases even more mafic, cognate xenoliths. So xenoliths that share... Texture similarities, mineralogical similarities, but just are progressively more and more primitive. And sometimes you even get Xenoliths in Xenoliths mm. within these things. And so that's one of the diagnostic features of these sinucatoids. And so Dave, I think he was even reading off from the paper, these things have these distinctive cognate Xenolith suites, And I thought, well, bloody hell, <laughs> that's probably what we got up in the Pilbara. <laughs> yeah, and it turns out that's exactly what we had in the Pilbara. And the unique... Thing about snookatoids at that stage, they really hit the petrological news because they were the only instance where a case could be made for a felsic magma being directly derived through melting of mantle peridotite. Oh. That was the answer to the compositional paradox that these two suites of trace elements were throwing at us. Now they had the high chrome, the high nickel, magnesium numbers over sixty. By definition, at sixty weight percent silica, they need to have chrome and nickel both over hundred ppm. So that's that's a hell of a lot for a felsic rock.
1: Yeah,
0: so that was clear evidence that these things, them or their parental magma, started off in equilibration with a mantle peridotite. But they had these huge enrichments in strontium, barium, lanthanum, light rare earth elements. They had Typically, have quite significant negative niobium anomalies, so they had all the hallmarks of either a subduction component or of crustal contamination. Right. And so, at that stage, what everybody was starting to think about these rocks was, was that they were direct melts of a mantle that was metasomatized through subduction. So, material coming off a subducting slab, metasomatizing a mantle, yep. and then that mantle being remelted to directly produce a felsic melt. Mm. So if that was the case, then they were absolutely unique in igneous petrogenesis. Yeah. That seemed to be consistent with a lot of what we saw in the Pilbara synucatoids. You didn't see that mafic end member that would lead you to believe that it was part of a a liquid line of, of descent rooted in a mafic parental magma. Yeah. So it all seemed to be consistent with these things being direct melts of a modified mantle. Okay. And that really played into our sorts of discoveries within that region of bononite-like rocks and of the wandu subduction-like signature, that we could actually then build up what we thought was a really good weight of evidence case, that this region was fundamentally moulded through plate tectonic processes that at least were beginning to look like modern-style processes. Mm. So that was quite a big thing at that stage. There's also a link with gold mineralisation? The, the connection between gold and snookatoids was established back in the days when Dave Champion and I were working on these things up in the Pilbara, again by the Canadians. And at that stage, I think it was just an empirical observation that wherever you found you or, or cyanites, you, you tended to get gold camps. Okay. But certainly, when that connection was pointed out to the explorers, to people studying the same sorts of systems in Australia, mm. the connection, I guess, was assumed to be a fortuitous one that the gold mineralisation and the snookatoids simply. They simply both like the same cracks. That's That That was basically it. Yep. After mapping in the Pilbara and then subsequently in the Musgroves, I then moved back to the Eastern Goldfields. What we're doing there is it's a major geochemical sampling program that we refer to as the Archean Greenstone Barcoding Program. Mm. And we're looking at geochemically profiling, barcoding, if you like, the Archean Greenstone stratigraphy mm. at various locations. In the first instance, as a way of Producing a chemo stratigraphy that might help the exploration industry locate where they are stratigraphically based on limited drill chip geochemical information, for example. Right. So I started this program in the kalgoorlie Cambouda region because that's where we're quite confident about the stratigraphy, or we think we are anyway. And one of the rocks that we started collecting a lot of samples from was the Black Flag Group, which is a it's a it's essentially 2.69 billion years old. It, it overlies the main basaltic greenstone component. It's a sequence of felsic, volcanic, volcanoclastic, and subvolcanic porphyry intrusions, very abundant and locally very thick. So we started collecting a whole lot of these. And once we got all the geochemical data back, we started to see geochemical trends in these that very, very closely mimic the trends that we'd seen in the Pilbara rocks. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, when we followed these leads up a bit further, it turns out that the Black Flag Group, almost in its entirety, is basically a volcanic equivalent of the Sinucatoid intrusions that we saw in the Pilbara. And so that was huge, because the Black Flag Group had been looked at before, and Various models had been proposed for what it represented. Um, the, the main one being that, w- that it was just a volcanic example of a tonalite trongemite granodiorite series, mm-hmm. possibly in a subduction setting again. And so the revelation that these things were indeed snooked was quite significant, particularly because you're looking at a bit of the world geologically um, between Cambowda and, and, and Kalgoorlie that's probably been more studied, more walked over, more looked at, more analysed than any other equivalent size of ground in the world <laughs> but no one really had sort of bothered to analyze enough of these rocks to recognize the sanukatoid heritage right i just found that quite amazing it just makes you wonder yeah you never give up never give up in any area because there's always something more to learn yeah you never take anything for granted yeah so what the black flag group actually offered us was a really complete geochemical Liquid line of descent. We could actually trace these rocks. We had our rhyolitic equivalents, we had our dacitic equivalents, we had andesitic equivalents, but we started getting basalts that had distinct snookatoid like compositions. Mm. Then we even started finding some rocks that had 10, 12 weight percent magnesium, and they started to merge with the lamprophires, which are abundant in that region. So these are getting down towards the ultramafic spectrum. Right. In those data sets, we could actually prove a liquid line of descent that connected. An ultramafic mantle-derived melt to the felsic derivatives. So, based on that evidence, they were derived from an enriched um, mantle lithospheric source. That certainly didn't change, but the sanukitoids were a derivative of those. So, that um, at least, as far as we're concerned, throws out the theory that these things were a direct felsic extract of the of a primitive mantle. Okay. One of the things about sinucotoids is the oldest one that's ever been found was in fact the ones we found in the Malina Basin and they were two point nine five. No sinucotoid older than that had been found anywhere else in any Archean terrain. Just about every Archean terrain does contain sinucotoids. Okay. They never amount to more than five percent of the total granitic volume. Right. And so they were for a long time and and probably still are by a lot of people considered to be a phenomenon entirely restricted to the Neo Archean. We've subsequently found some in the Pilbara that are dated at around 3.3, rocks that, you know, they're sort of maybe in the strictest of, of the definition. They might not cut the grade completely in terms of Sanucatoids, but they're certainly on their way. And so what we're suggesting at the moment is that maybe Sanucatoids have always been formed through one process or another in, in the neo perhaps by some form of plate tectonics that's approaching a modern style mm and in the Paleoarchaean by maybe some other process that's enriching the um, the mantle lithosphere. But I, I strongly suspect that they have formed one way or another throughout the entire Archaean eon. But what in fact has changed has been the lower crustal rheology that's allowed these things in the Neoarchaean through translithospheric brittle fracturing has allowed these things to transit all the way to the near surface. But in the Paleoarchean basically meant that these things stalled in the lower crust. And that, in fact, has some quite important consequences. Because these things are so hydrated, it provides a fantastic way of introducing water into the mafic crust at at the base of paleoarchean terrains. And that may well indeed be one way of inducing that lower crust to produce TTGs in the first place. Hmm. So maybe this group of unusual rocks that's been considered to be rare and and, and restricted to the neo Archean may end up, in fact, being one of the most fundamentally important groups of rocks that we have in the Archean, and maybe even one of the most fundamentally important rocks in terms of continental crustal evolution, full stop. As you can see, I love sunukatoids. Western Australia is still full of places where you could go... And from the geological perspective, if you care to spend the time to investigate it long enough and you're interested long enough, there are still these things out there to be discovered.
1: You've been listening to The Rocks Beneath Our Feet. You can discover more about GSWA by visiting dmp.wa.gov.au forward slash GSWA or find GSWA on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you like what you've heard, give them a follow.